0: Jean-Albert Dadas was a Frenchman living in Europe toward the end of the 19th century. And the only way, or the only reason, I should say, that uh, his name has been remembered throughout history is because he was the first person diagnosed with something called dramamania, which at the time was considered to be an uncontrollable impulse to wander. And when I say that, I'm not talking about Uh, that he would wander around the supermarket or that he would wander around town, but instead he would spontaneously and compulsively wander for miles, sometimes into different cities, different countries. But it started small. When he was 12 years old, Dadas, he, uh, he disappeared one day. Eventually, his brother found him in a nearby town and found that he was working for a traveling umbrella salesman. When he confronted him, Dadas, he was confused too. He didn't know... Where he was, or why he was holding all these umbrellas. And so began a lifetime marked by many periods of random wanderings in his life. He would just leave his job. When he got older, he would leave his wife and his daughter. And he would just start walking. Sometimes he would walk as many as 40 miles in a single day. He claimed not to have any recollection of his travels, the places that he went, but that he essentially blacked out, would find himself eventually in some city, or on a bus, train, or uh, that he would find himself uh, in a hospital. Once in his early 20s, while he was serving in the French army, he, he just walked away from his post. And they say that that was one of his longest journeys. He traveled on foot through Prague, Berlin, Moscow. Eventually, he ended up in a foreign prison for a few months. But every time he would come to his senses, he would either find someone who would help him, or he'd find some odd jobs, work hard, earn some money so he could travel back home. And even today, people debate his story. They're they're not sure if this whole thing was just a scam in order to travel the world, or if he really had some deeper issues that he was struggling with. But regardless, in the end, his life, his whole life, is remembered as one of pointless, aimless wandering. He had no destination, he had no goal, and so in the end he really had nothing to show for himself. I think it's safe to say that none of us here wants our lives to be described that way as pointless, aimless, nothing to show for it in the end. Nor should we as Christians want our church to be described this way. You see, when the believers of a local church are not united in their purpose, well then all of their activities are gonna lack direction And so they'll aimlessly wander from one good thing to the next, but without that direction, many times they have very little to show for it in the end. But we don't want to be an aimless church here at First Baptist Church of Oxford. That's why years ago, we defined our purpose here as a church. This is our our mission statement. Trevor's going to put it on the screen for us. And we said as a church that we exist to encourage believers to grow into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And to share the clear and simple message of salvation with our community and the world. In other words, this is our purpose as a church. We share the gospel. We disciple believers. Now, this is important because it means that every event or ministry or activity that we do must help meet one or both of these goals or we don't do those things. This is the direction that we're going. All right, so the question then was, what's the goal? What's the destination? Where's the vision for where this will take us? And so, five years ago, we cast the vision that we want to become a church of all people, living as family, serving God. You may have seen this around the church, it's hanging in the foyer as you come into the sanctuary. But I realized recently that it's been some time since I've preached on this vision of ours what it means, why it matters what comes next. So I want us to talk about it a little bit today because as we return to our study in Romans 16, we're going to find in the following verses a good picture of God's church. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Romans 16. If you'd like to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you, you can turn in those to page 922. Page 922, Romans 16. Like I said, we're going to see here a good good picture of God's church, an example that all churches can learn from. In fact, I believe that if we take to heart what we are going to read, then we will grow closer at arriving at our goal, our vision of being a church that brings God glory. Now, this chapter begins with Paul referring to a number of Christians by name. And the truth is, this might be a section of scripture that Some of us might skip over in our personal study, our daily devotions, but there's so much here. If we'll just slow down and look together. So let's start by considering who these individuals were. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Paul says this, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Let's pause here for just just a moment. A lot of time has been spent over the fact that some translations of Scripture here refer to Phoebe as a deacon, whereas other translations will refer to her as a servant, because that Greek word can be translated both ways. Our goal this morning is not to debate that. Because what is undebatable is the fact that Phoebe was a Christian who loved God and who loved God's people. And she demonstrated that. She was a servant and a helper to many. More than that, the word here for benefactor was often used for wealthy individuals who would use their wealth to support others. That's something that seems Phoebe did. You see, Phoebe used her time and her money to serve God and to serve God's people. Paul held her in such high esteem that we can safely assume that the reason he was commending her to the Roman church is because Phoebe was the one entrusted with delivering this letter to the believers there. We get so wrapped up in debating what title she may or may not have had that we lose sight of the fact she touched a lot of lives, including Paul's, and including ours, right? Because aren't we blessed now to have this letter that she faithfully and safely delivered to the church? Phoebe is worthy of admiration. And not only her, look at the verse 3. Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Stop here for a second because we've got to talk about this couple. Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila, they were were special to Paul. They are special to the church. They should be special to all of us as we see their example. We're first introduced to them in the Bible in the book of Acts where they meet Paul. They begin doing ministry with him. And then later in the book of Acts, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they meet this guy named Apollos. When Apollos was described as someone who was eloquent, mighty in the scriptures, but we're told that he was Who's was lacking in some of his spiritual knowledge. So Priscilla and Aquila, they, they took him aside and, and they taught him the truths that he was lacking. And Apollos went on to have this powerful ministry. And apparently it wasn't just his ministry that was impacted by this couple, so was Paul's. Paul said this couple risked their lives for him. Now we don't know the circumstances of that, but we do know that many times people tried to kill Paul. Paul was beaten, he was stoned, he was whipped, he was left for dead. Plots were made against his life. So when Paul says that they risked their lives for him, we can take that literally. He meant that. No wonder all the Gentile churches were grateful to this couple. They were leaders of a church in their home. They helped Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, they helped train Apollos, the powerful preacher. Sometimes, I think that as Christians, we get this idea that only big-name preachers, like the Billy Grahams of the church, that only they can make an impact for God's kingdom. But church never forget about the many Priscilla's and Aquila's who have impacted the church for 2,000 years. People like Edward Kimball. Kimball, he was a Sunday school teacher over 100 years ago. I have a feeling some of us may never have heard of Edward Kimball. Like I said, he was a Sunday school teacher, and this is how he described one of the boys in his class all those years ago. He said, I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than his when he came into my Sabbath school class, or who seemed more unlikely ever to become Christians of clear, decided views of gospel truth. Now, thankfully, Edward Kimball, didn't You can give up on that young boy. And one day, he led that boy, whose name was Dwight Moody. He led Moody to Jesus Christ. Yeah, and Moody is a name that many of us recognize. Dwight Moody went on to impact thousands of people for Jesus. The Priscilla's, the Aquila's, the Edward Kimball's of churches have a bigger impact on God's kingdom than most of us will ever know. They're special. Verse 5 continues. Paul says this says greet my dear friend Epinetus who is the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia greet Mary who worked very hard for you Epinetus was Paul's dear friend that, that phrase dear friend can also be translated as my beloved so keep that in mind I wanted to say something about Mary though you know as for Mary we we don't know what work she did but she worked hard for the believers, Paul says. I tell you what, church, there are some volunteers here at First Baptist Church of Oxford who work very hard for you. And you might not see all the things that they do. You might never know about their work, just like we don't know about Mary's work, but God does. And churches have long been blessed by those who work hard for their fellow believers. So to those of you who do that here, I want to thank you for everything that you do. I want you to know that I praise God for you. Verse 7, Paul says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Are you starting to feel some of the closeness that Paul had with these believers? Now remember, he hadn't been to the church in Rome yet, so there were a lot of believers there that he didn't know, but clearly there were some Christians there that he knew pretty well. I mean, Andronicus and Junia, they had been in prison with Paul. Now I'm not positive, but I would imagine that being in prison together brings a pretty close bond when you've been sitting in chains with someone. But the great thing is, you don't have to be imprisoned together to be close to one another in the family of Christ. Ampliatus and Sacchus were his beloved, his dear friends. Urbanus was a coworker. And there were other people. Look at verse 10. It says, Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, near us, and his sister, and Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. We're good? That was a lot of names. Don't Patty and Valida do a wonderful job here at the church? Yes, they do, yeah. Very thankful to both of you. Thank you so much. So there are more workers that were introduced to here in these verses that we just read. People like Persis, Tryphena, and Tryphosa. Herodian was likely a part of the household of the Roman ruler Herod. Others in this list were likely slaves. Hermes, Philologus, Juliet, these were common names for slaves at that time. Not to mention that the believers in the households of Aristobulus and Narcissus likely included slaves as well. I want you to remember all those things. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then Olympus is the last name listed here. Olympus was a Christian, and the Greek meaning of his name is, is heavenly. Other than that, we don't know anything about him. But God saw fit for this saint, like those mentioned before him, to have his name recorded in Scripture. Casey and I, we want to pass down a heritage of faith to our sons, and a small part of that was the decision to give them biblical names. So when we named our youngest, we named him Simon Olympus. My greatest prayer for my sons is they would both give their lives to the Lord at a young age. And then one of my prayers for my youngest is that one day he would be a bold Christian leader like Simon Peter, and that he would also know that even those little known believers are precious in God's sight, like Olympus. On this list, there are people who may have never been counted or included anywhere else because of their low social status or the fact that all the work that they did was behind the scenes. Yet here, their names stand in the word of God forever. That's a special thing, isn't it? As an encouragement believer, even though our names will not be recorded in scripture, we can rejoice that our names have been recorded forever in the Lamb's book of life. And because of that, because of our salvation, one day we will meet these dear saints that we are reading about. But until then, I want us to consider now what we can learn from them as a church. You see, I understand, like I said earlier, this is a section of Scripture that many people would skip over or would skim past as quickly as possible. But there's so much beauty here. And the truth is, we've only talked a little about these individuals. There's more that we could talk about. We could spend more time talking about. We could spend a lot of time talking about Rufus. Rufus, who may have been the same Rufus whose father in Mark chapter 15 was forced by the Roman soldiers to carry Jesus' cross to Golgotha for him. There's more that we could say. This list of names speaks volumes, but there's something more that I want us to see this morning. When we start to put these things together, we get a good picture of the church in Rome, first notice, notice the different individuals who made up the church. Or there were clearly some wealthy people in the church, benefactors like Phoebe, others who may have come from royal households like Herodian, and then of course there were the poorest among them, slaves who were part of the church. We already know from our study that there were both Jews and Gentiles. We find in this list that both men and women were commended for their roles and their work. I bring this up because in every culture throughout all time, there have been these dividing lines in society. People tend to separate themselves based on status, on race, on their background, on their economic class. But what we find in the Bible is that God's church is supposed to be different. In fact, Revelation chapter 7 gives us a glimpse of eternity. And it says that in heaven, there will be a great multitude of Christians. A great multitude that no one can count. From every nation and tribe and people and language. See, people from all backgrounds and cultures are a part of God's church. And it's an incredible thing when a local church on earth is a small reflection of the church as it will be in heaven. Paul said this in his letter to the Galatian church. He said in Galatians chapter 3, he said, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul said this, this doesn't mean that we're not unique. What he means is that our faith in Jesus unites us into one family so that we're not divided by our background, our bank account, our skin color, the language barriers we might have. We're unique as individuals, but we are one in Christ Jesus as Christians. And the church in Rome was a good picture of this. People from all walks of life walking together in Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. When we talk about becoming a church of all people here at First Baptist Church of Oxford, what we mean is that, you know, we're in a very unique place here in Oxford, Florida, aren't we? We're right near the villages on one side. We've got Summerfield and Wildwood on the others. Of course, there's Oxford itself. We're in quite a melting pot, we have found. A melting pot of race, wealth, status, background, brokenness. And here's the thing. If we're faithful to fulfill our purpose in sharing the gospel in our community, well, then we're going to start reflecting that community here, aren't we? Then, like the church in Rome, we're going to have people from all walks of life walking together in Jesus Christ. And that's part of our prayer. You notice next the love that existed among the believers there in Rome. Paul loved them. He called many of them, his beloved, his dear friends. And they love Paul. Priscilla and Aquil almost died for him. There were others who were his co workers in ministry. And then he says that Rufus' mother loved Paul as if he were her own son. Did you catch that when we read that? Boy, that's special. It's special to me because I can identify with what Paul is talking about. Uh, Both my parents are alive and well, but they live up north. And so, for years, a number of you have been like mothers and fathers to me and to my wife. You've treated us as though we were your own children. You see, the bond of love among Christians should be the strongest of loves. We're united together in faith. We're going to be with each other for all eternity. We should love each other deeply. So much so that Jesus said in John 13, he said that the world will know that we are his followers by our love for one another. And that's a love that those outside the family of Christ, the world, just can't understand it. In fact, there was a Christian in the early church, his name was Tertullian. He once wrote that even the unbelievers who hated Christians would still look at them and say, you see how they love one another? How they're ready to die for each other. Isn't that a powerful testimony? You see the love that was among these believers in Rome? Look at the fellowships that Paul greeted that were among them. The mention of the holy kiss with which these early believers greeted one another. Love and care seems to have described well the church in Rome, didn't it? So does it describe our church well? Part of our vision is that we want to be a church living as family. That means that we would love one another. We would go out of our way to help each other when someone is hurting or is in need. That we would encourage each other, rejoice and mourn with each other. That we would strive to live in harmony as a body of believers. But how can we do these things if we're never with each other? We decided years ago that we want to be more than a church that just sees each other once a week on Sunday mornings. We want to fellowship with each other more often. We want to see each other more than just once a week. And so we've worked hard to build up things like Wednesday classes, weekly small groups, different opportunities for us to meet together in love, to be family in Jesus Christ. And finally, do you see how the believers in the Roman church, how they worked hard for the Lord and for one another? We know what some of them did, like Priscilla and Aquila. You know what Phoebe did in delivering this letter that we now read. Others worked hard in ways that are now only known to God. Part of our vision is to become a church serving God. See, the same way that we have been commanded to love one another, believers, we have been commanded to serve one another as well. And I understand a lot of you do this. and I praise God for you. But until all of us are doing this, until we all are faithfully using our spiritual gifts and our talents to serve God and to serve his people, till all of us are doing that, well, we have a ways to go. So this is our vision, church, to become a church of all people living as family, serving God. First Baptist Church, the question is, are each of us faithfully looking to share the gospel and to grow in our faith? Remember, that's our purpose, right? Remember that when we're faithful to share the gospel, we'll find that soon this church will be wonderfully unique like the community that we're in. When we seek to grow in our faith alongside each other, we'll naturally begin to grow closer to each other. Well, then we're going to start treating each other the way that family in Christ should. We'll want to be with one another. And as we grow in our love for God and for one another, we're going to start serving each other. So I want to encourage everyone, if you're hearing Jesus Christ is your Savior... I want to encourage and challenge you to evaluate today which of these areas you can improve on this week. Share the gospel with someone. Look to spend time with the family in Christ and grow in your faith. Come be in fellowship with the family of Christ outside of only Sunday mornings. Find another time to also be with your family. Find a way to serve others here with their spiritual gifts. Go out of your way to love on your family in Christ. I believe that each of us has a way that we can improve in some of these areas. So let's do that. By the way, I'd like to encourage everyone, before you leave this morning, find a volunteer here who works hard for the Lord and commend them for that. Encourage your family in Christ. Here's the truth this morning, church. The truth that I want us to grasp is this. To be a church pleasing to God, we need to pursue God's purposes together. Our vision is about us becoming a church pleasing to God. To do that, we need to pursue God's purposes Together, remember what our purpose is as a church: share the gospel, disciple believers. As we go this direction together, I believe we'll become a people in a place where God is glorified. There are a lot of great examples that we learn from the church in Rome and the believers who are there, First Baptist Church. Let's be great examples to one another as well. If you're here and Jesus Christ is not your savior, might be kind of strange hearing about how Christians act, what we do, how much we we love each other. But I want you to understand the reason why we love one another. The Bible actually tells us. 1 John 4.19 says that we, as Christians, we love because God first loved us. So if you're here and Jesus isn't your Savior, I don't need you to leave understanding why Christians love each other the way that we do. I need you to understand how much God loves you before you leave. And God loves you so much that he wants to have a relationship with you. But you need to understand our sin is what separates us from God. All those bad things that we do. The just penalty for our sin is to be separated forever from God after this life in a place called hell. But God loves you. He loves you so much that he provided a way for you to be pardoned from hell. See, our sins still has to be paid for. So Jesus did that when he died on the cross. Took the penalty for us. Then he powerfully rose from the dead and Jesus is standing in heaven right now waiting to forgive you of all your sins. In fact, the Bible is very clear. The moment that you give your life to Jesus Christ, he will forgive you of all your sins. The moment you give your life to him, he'll come and live within you and allow you to live and love in a way you've never lived and loved before. The moment you give your life to him, you become a part of the greatest family on earth, the family of God. And in that moment that you give your life to Christ, he will give you eternal life. The guarantee that when this life is over, you'll be with him forever. If you have never made that decision before, please know that you can do that right now. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's where you're at, if you, if you know that Jesus isn't your Savior, but you're ready to change that, please understand you can come and talk to me during this final song. You can find me after the service. Don't, don't leave here unsure of where you stand with God. But if you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus Christ, I don't want you to wait another moment outside of his family. So you can go to Jesus and you can admit to him that you know that you're a sinner. But that you know Jesus died on the cross for you. That you believe in the grave, but that rose from the dead. Ask him to forgive you. Give your life. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have entered into the family of Christ by faith, teach us what it means to live like family. I praise you for this church, for the love, the unity, the peace that is in it. Help us now to be united together in our purpose, that we would share the gospel, that we would disciple others and grow in our faith. Father, I believe that as we do these things, we will start to have a deep impact on our community. We'll become a church of all people. People of all different backgrounds walking together in Christ. I believe that as we grow in our faith and our love for one another, we'll start serving each other. We'll start living as family. Father, we want you to be honored and glorified here. So help each and every one of us this morning to evaluate our hearts and ask what could I be improving in? How could I be loving my family in Christ more? Who can I share the gospel with this week and help us to be faithful to these things so that you would be glorified here at First Baptist Church of Oxford and in our lives? And Father, if there's anyone here who still hasn't made that decision to give their life to Jesus Christ, I pray they wouldn't walk out these doors without doing that. I pray they'd come and talk to me during this final song, that they'd find someone to talk to before they leave, Father, we love you, but you proved long ago when you sent your Son that you love us more, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.